Hello and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast where we have an ice to pick with you. I'm Sarah. I... What? I don't know. I'm sorry. There's absolutely nothing funny about any of this. be good content for our comedy podcast i should have known this and this is why maybe i didn't do the episode like three months ago when i said i was going to do an episode on lobotomies the episode is about lobotomies spoiler alert it's in the title uh it's because it's a big old bummer yeah it's pretty much just preying on mentally ill people yeah i mean not even mentally ill people all the time (laughs) no that's it that's the show (laughs) goodbye no (laughs) Um, I'm gonna teach you stuff, I guess. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to a very special afternoon of I've forgotten how to do this. Okay. Uh, sources, real quick. NPR, How Stuff Works, Wikipedia, the usual. You know, I don't not ever use Wikipedia. Yeah, it's a good base point because there are always sources at the bottom. There's sources at the bottom, and then I also feel like it's always laid out in a very easy-to-understand structure most of the yeah, time. Yeah, you can kind of get a, an idea of where you need to dig in further. Yeah. Donate to Wikipedia, guys. Yeah, they do so much good work. Yeah, they were infinitely helpful when I was doing demons. All right. Today, like I said, we're talking about lobotomies. Do you know what a lobotomy is, Emily? <laughs> It's a, it's an okay Ramon song. No. <laughs> I have no reply for that. <laughs> Teenage Lobotomy. Do you know this song? I'm not familiar with it. No, I can't say I am. What the song is referring to, I'm assuming the song refers to actual lobotomies. I don't know. I haven't heard yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> it's a surgical procedure designed to treat psychiatric illnesses by severing connections in the brain's prefrontal free. Wow. Pre- Frontal cortex. I got to say that like eight times in this podcast. I have not been drinking. You know, the weird part is Sarah actually got a lumbotomy as part of her research for this episode. That's mean to say, Emily. I know. Because I'm failing at this episode. I don't know what is wrong with me tonight. Okay. Uh, What's a prefrontal cortex? Do you know what that is? Is Is that also Ramon's song? No, it's a part of your brain. Yes. Uh, It's the part of your brain right behind your forehead. Uh, It's got a lot of jobs because it's part of your brain, uh, but it's generally (laughs) associated with, this is something I wrote in my script, Uh, generally associated with executive functions like decision making, problem solving, self-control, and working towards long-term goals. Executive functions like deciding whether to take the brain public or not? Yes. Okay. (laughs) It's also been linked uh, with personality expression and, like, moderating social behavior. So essentially, like, the way it's described is it's the part of the brain that makes us human versus just, like, you know, cats who (laughs) freak out at 8 o'clock at night every time I'm trying to record something. That didn't seem like a very specific... No. I mean, that just generally... Um, Uh Uh I don't even know where she went. Oh, she's sleeping. Okay, great. (laughs) <laughs> she got it out during the mini. Uh, so if you've ever taken a psych class, you probably heard the story of Phineas Gage. Uh, he was a railway worker whose left frontal lobe and prefrontal cortex were destroyed when an iron rod was shot through his skull. Have you heard of this story? Oh, yes. Everyone has, right? Yeah. Um, at least everyone who went to college. 
third oh, on. Wow. I'm Jesus. only saying that because I didn't hear learn about it until I got into college. I didn't learn about it until I listened to an episode of The Dollop about him. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> everyone. Okay, fine. Everyone who hasn't been to college and everyone who doesn't know what a podcast is. <laughs> there we go. Problem so solved. So no one who listens to this podcast, obviously. Uh, by some miracle, Gage survived Jeez the Christ. accident. What is with this episode? Can we start over? <laughs> nope. For six minutes in, my dudes, you got to keep on trucking. Uh, by some miracle, Gage survived the accident and by all accounts functioned about as well as any human being could, uh, given the fact that, you know, there was a big rod through his brain. They took it out, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't just <laughs> leave it. It was like six feet long or something. Like there's a picture of him holding it and it's, yeah. It, He's it was just big. walking around like a character from 13 Ghosts. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, so he retained his speech and mutter skills, even his memories, uh, but according to his friends, he was, quote, no longer Gage. He'd become irritable and quick-tempered and impulsive, qualities you would expect from someone with a deficit in executive function. Uh, this is, of course, the part of the podcast where I tell you that some of his personality changes may have been exaggerated after the fact, but I'm using it to illustrate a point. And that point is, you can fuck with this part of the brain and it's not going to kill you, but you won't necessarily be the same person. Okay. So the lobotomy is kind of like, it, it essentially takes this idea and applies it a little bit more delicately. So by kind of like severing the connections between the prefrontal cortex and the rest of the brain, doctors were able, in theory, to reduce the symptoms of mental disorders at the expense of the patient's personality and intellect, uh, leaving them placid and emotionally blunted. In theory. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry, I was just thinking about how it's like, it doesn't actually fix the problem. No. And I think we'll go into this later, but essentially, like, it was used to treat stuff like depression and bipolar and schizophrenia. But, like, schizophrenia especially, like, just, it isn't linked to that part of the brain, so it really doesn't do, it does absolutely nothing for schizophrenia Mm -hmm. besides, Mm -hmm. you know. Making the person real super chill all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not curing the disease by any means, but anyway. Uh, so to understand why we ever considered this acceptable, we need to take a trip back in time to the 1930s. Truly a great time for the field of mental health. Um, Just kidding. It was terrible. <laughs> uh, every horror movie you've ever seen about an asylum <laughs> is yeah. this time period. Well, uh, I mean, it could range anywhere between the late 1800s to the 1950s, but... Yeah, really any time in there, but... Really, the peak was this, the 30s. The 30s is when they started doing the real fun stuff. Um, so, mental hospitals of the early 20th century, they often suffered from severe overcrowding. Not new, but especially yeah. a problem in the 30s. Uh, by 1940, there were a million patients already in institutions, and the population was growing by 80% every year. Well, it's because anytime anybody didn't act exactly like people wanted them to, they sent them to an asylum. Right. And also, it's the numbers only ever going to go up because there's no way to the people who do actually have mental illness, like there's no way to treat them. Yeah. Like you're not going to make them better. So they're either you're going to do something temporarily to kind of treat their symptoms and then they go back into society and then have another mental break and get sent back. Because there's you, you're doing nothing for them, essentially. Yeah. You can't... It's not like a regular hospital when you come in and you give them one of their newfangled medicines like penicillin and their syphilis clears up and they can go home. Like, 
doesn't work like that. Interesting choice of, of disease. Yeah, I got very specific on that one. I don't know. This is it's grim. I'm trying to make jokes. syphilis is hilarious. <laughs> syphilis, the most hilarious of diseases. Uh so this isn't to say the doctors and psychiatrists didn't try. Uh, they had often prescribed sedatives or they did mind body therapies like hot and cold baths. Others tried to literally shock patient, patients out of their illness through insulin or electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, yeah, like in the bell jar. Yeah. Which went great. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly, didn't actually make the patients any better. Uh, and most pu- most people suffering from severe mental illness would have to make frequent return trips to the hospital or ultimately spend their entire lives in an overcrowded and underfunded institution. So in comparison, lobotomies, it's a legitimate alternative. Uh to what they had, I guess. Yeah. Um, even if only as a last resort. Um, lobotomize an unruly patient, and even if you didn't cure them, you could at least make them easier to, you know, control and handle. And there's less violent outbursts. There's less just activity in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first lobotomies, then known as leucotomies, I think is how you pronounce it, probably. Okay. <laughs> uh, they were performed in 1935 under the direction of a Portuguese neurologist named Antonio Igas Moniz. In uh, here, <laughs> for real, things are about to get really gross. Oh, good. Uh, so if you're not into unsettling descriptions of brain surgery, you can, like, this is your last chance to bail. Like, skip I mean, 30 I seconds. Or, you can't. I'm talking to the other people. <laughs> I'm being held hostage. <laughs> you have no choice, Emily. Uh, so Moniz's initial method was to drill a hole into the side of a patient's skull and inject ethanol into the brain, uh, destroying the connecting fibers of the prefrontal cortex. No, thanks. Real Jeffrey Dahmer stuff happening here. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, without, you know, the actual death. Uh, the first operation was a success in that the patient survived. Uh, and Moniz declared her cured, despite the fact that she never left the mental hospital. Oh, Jesus Christ. But close enough, right? After the first seven patients, Moniz tweaked his method a little bit. He lost the ethanol, replaced it with a surgical instrument he created and dubbed the leucotome, which is essentially, it's like a thin cylinder and it's got a retractable wire loop on one end. So you drill the holes, you kind of stick the little instrument through the hole, mm-hmm. and then by like twisting and manipulating the wire, you create little lesions in the brain. And you just had to do enough of those... You know, I, it was, don't, it was I don't really, like it. No. And it was however many he decided you needed. So you just kind of, you know, totally winging it. I don't trust this guy. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> he has a Nobel Prize, by the way. He shouldn't. No. <laughs> They've tried to rescind it. Uh, and the Nobel Prize committee isn't having it, I guess. Uh, so between November 1935 and February 1936... Moniz and his team performed 20 leucotomies on patients suffering from depression, schizophrenia, and other illnesses. Uh, he published his results in March, reporting that 35% of his patients had improved, 35 had somewhat improved, and the remaining 30% were mostly unchanged. Keyword, mostly? <laughs> mostly. Uh, Moniz did list a variety of complications, including but not limited to ocular effects like drooping eyelids, Incontinence, diarrhea, apathy, lethargy, and disorientation. I, I don't know why the most upsetting thing you said was diarrhea. Like, I didn't know that was a thing that your brain could be in control of. I, you know, I, maybe I think it's just like similar to the incontinence. It's not that 
it's controlling the poop. It's just controlling your ability to hold it in. I, I guess. I just, I, I don't really want to get into it. No, I didn't look for details, honestly. Um, <laughs> Moniz insisted all these side effects were transitionary and that all his patients would be fine, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah, like I said, he would eventually win his a Nobel Prize for his efforts, uh, nominated by the next guy we're going to talk about. Fun fact. Uh, and his surgical methods were rapidly adopted by clinicians around the world to treat schizophrenia, manic depression, and bipolar disorder. <sighs> this brings us to Walter Freeman, Lobotomy Batman. Did you say Lobotomy Batman? Yes. Okay. We'll get into it. <laughs> so the first prefrontal leucotomy in the United States was performed by a neurologist named Walter Freeman in 1936. Uh, he'd actually met Moniz at a Congress of Neurology in London the previous year and was apparently a big fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, along with a neurosurgeon friend named James W. Watts, modified Moniz's procedure and renamed it the prefrontal lobotomy. Uh, he viewed the procedure as a game changer, despite the risks, and he knew they were there. <laughs> uh, one of his former patients said he told her, you can come out, as a ve- come out of this as a vegetable or you can come out dead. Mm-hmm. And then she agreed to it anyway, but... Anyway, Hmm. Uh, so in 1941, Freeman operated on one of his most famous patients, Rosemary Kennedy, sister to future president John F. Kennedy. (laughs) Yeah, I heard about this. Yeah. So there's conflicting accounts to the extent of her mental illness. In some, like she's simply moody and rebellious. It seems to be generally accepted that she had some mild form of intellectual disability. Um, But in her early 20s, she did begin to act out more severely, experiencing seizures and violent tantrums. Uh, She was in and out of school every few years and eventually landed in a convent school in D.C. That's exactly where you need to to send someone with who's like neurologically different because the Catholics are nothing if not very understanding of all of that. Catholics love human differences. They definitely didn't try to tell me that my ADD was just in my head which is technically not wrong i mean technically uh the nuns unsurprisingly couldn't control her either uh she began sneaking out at night and her family worried that her behavior would you know result in a scandal you know maybe she might get pregnant uh went looking for a solution and were referred to dr freeman uh freeman performed the procedure at george washington university hospital um and he began that this is sorry it's gonna get real bad again I mean, this whole thing has been bad. There has never been a point where it's like, mm, that sounds nice. So the story goes that he began the procedure while she was fully conscious. Oh, fuck. Uh, and on her doctor's instructions, she was uh, told to recite songs and stories. And as Freeman drilled into her head and started severing those connections in her brain, she became incoherent and eventually completely silent. I mean, I would assume from the, the pain, right? Like, I think... I can never get a real answer on this. There's some anesthesia happening. It's not like the put you to sleep kind of anesthesia. It's probably a numbing, like general or not general anesthesia. That's the kind that puts you to sleep. The topical, not topical. The local site specific. Yes, thank you. Local. That's the word I was looking for. So it's like I think I don't know. Like I said, I couldn't get a clear answer on what exactly was used. Fair enough. But still, not great. Uh, she did survive her lobotomy. It was a failure by any measure. Her mental capacity was diminished to that of a two-year-old. Um, initially, she could only speak a few words, and even after months of physical therapy, she never regained the full use of one arm and walked with a limp. 
Uh, and she, of course, spent the rest of her life in an institution in Wisconsin, of all places. Poor girl. God damn it. Where it's like, this is exactly what you're trying to avoid. Having to go to Wisconsin? Yeah. Well, Wisconsin and, like, you know, institutionalization, but mostly Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, so did this experience deter Walter Freeman? Absolutely not. <laughs> in I, fact, why would it? He's an old white guy. He's just going to keep failing up. Yep. Uh, his biggest problem with the procedure was that it was too complicated. It required all this stuff, like qualified neurosurgeons and operating rooms and anesthesia. No. So he want, what he wanted to do was make this treatment accessible to patients that needed it most, like those in understaffed and underfunded state institutions. So in some, it's terribly misguided, but it is like a noble sort of like, he doesn't want only rich people like the Kennedys to be getting lobotomies. He wants to be able to treat everybody. I I guess. It's just very I guess misplaced. he thinks it's helping, but it's not. It's just... Like, mm. yeah, God, there was NPR in one of their stories. They interviewed one of his sons and his son is still like so proud of him. And I'm like, oh, but don't be. It's yeah. I mean, the problem is that like with that time period is that like, sure, there were people with, you know, actual like mental illness. But then there were people who just had like neurological differences. Mm -hmm. But they seem to think that they needed to fix them for some reason instead of being like, oh, yeah, she's autistic. She thinks differently. Like, yeah. I mean, we still fucking do it, but it was just the turning 30s, them in, it was much worse. <laughs> well, yeah, turning them into like zombies, basically. Essentially, yeah, is was like, oh yes, they're manageable now. Like that's lazy. That's fucking yeah, lazy. Like manageable should not be the goal. <laughs> no, it's not about you. It's about the actual person. But fine, okay. Anyway, uh, so he started looking for ways to simplify the procedure, a journey that would lead him all the way to his kitchen. No. Oh God, no. <laughs> Inspired by an Italian psychiatrist who had accessed the frontal lobe through his patient's eye sockets, Freeman took an ice pick from his own kitchen and started practicing the technique, first on a grapefruit and then on cadavers. Because same thing. Yep. Uh, he dubbed his new procedure the transorbital lobotomy. You know, back in the day when people just had ice picks yeah, in the kitchen? Yeah, that was the thing. Because he yeah. like, only got ice in a big block and had to literally chip off. Well, I mean, like back before... This would have been, like, Victorian times, but they used to just get that big block of ice and there was, like, a space in their, like, fridge unit. Yeah. That was basically just, like, the freezer where they would put the block of ice and then it would chill all of the other shit. Yeah. Very efficient. I'm saving of. that for my History of Appliances episode. <laughs> uh, okay. So, warning again, if you're going to get all squeaky about it, uh, skip forward, like, 30 seconds. <laughs> if you're going to be a little bitch about it. <laughs> Uh, so using an instrument called an orbitoclast, orbitoclast? Orbitoclast sounds right. Orbitoclast. So this was a long, thin instrument with a pointed end, not unlike an ice pick. Freeman would approach the frontal lobe through a patient's eye sockets rather than drilling holes into their skull. What I don't understand is how they got that in there without hurting the eye. Very all of carefully. the bits. I've seen, like, I've seen at least one picture of a patient, like, post, and, like, his eyes are very much irritated. I think it's just, like, there I is, like, s yeah, but, like, there's space between, like, you can push your eyeball down. <laughs> Don't try it. Uh, yeah, your eyeball is not attached to the sockets. There's room in between. It just feels like there's a lot of important bits in there. You would think. It's the brain. <laughs> it's the eyes and the brain. Uh, but the instrument will be replaced under or would be placed under the eyelid and against the top of the eye socket. 
Uh, Freeman would then use a mallet and he would drive the instrument through the bone and into the brain about two inches into the frontal lobe. Well, this all sucks. <laughs> From there, he'd pivot the instrument 40 degrees. So he'd kind of you know, wiggle it around toward the nose at first. And then he'd bring it back. And then he'd mallet it another inch deeper. And then cha-cha real smooth. Uh, yep. <laughs> I'm like literally demonstrating this on my head. I wish you could see me right now. I No one sees this except me. Uh, then he would make another cut. He'd go outwards, then inwards at 28 degrees. And that would sever some of the fibrous matter connecting the cortex to the thalamus and then he took it out and repeated it again with the other eye (laughs) well i hate all of that Mm -hmm. it's bad uh the whole procedure took about 10 minutes i also feel like everyone should just take a moment and go watch that pinky in the brain video where they sing about the parts of the brain that might be helpful yeah i should have done that as part of my research Uh, so because this didn't involve drilling holes into the skull, it could be done with basic anesthesia. And if anesthesia was unavailable, unavailable, Freeman recommended knocking the patient unconscious with an electroconvulsive shock. No! (laughs) Like I said, it's literally every mental asylum in every horror movie you've ever seen. This is, this is it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's basically the end of Grave Encounters. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so he performed the first transorbital lobotomy on a woman named Ellen Ionesco in 1946. Ellen was described by her daughter as being violently suicidal before the procedure. Afterwards, she said there was nothing. It stopped immediately. It was just peace, which is supposed to be optimistic. I don't know if it is. Uh, in time, her daughter says she returned to the person she was before the onset of her depression She might not have been as vivacious as she once had been, but her lobotomy had spared her from long-term institutionalization. We'll we'll give this one to Dr. Freeman. Uh, Because, like, and that's the thing. It's not like there weren't success stories. Like, that's part of the point is it works a couple of times and you're like, oh, this is perfect. Great. Let's do it on everybody. I just feel like they can't be super, like, specific with the part of the, the frontal whatever that they're targeting because they're just kind of like slipping it in there. Like you can't see it. You're doing it blind. Yeah. yeah so on those much. patients, they may have hit like a very specific part of the brain in a very specific case. Yeah. And there's, yeah. And there's no way to replicate it. Cause Not you're really. again, Cause you, going blind. Yeah, you're going every, in blind and everyone's brain is different. <laughs> I mean, they're like made up of the same bits for the most part, but yeah. And like I said, like some quality of life was improved. Others, very mixed results. Um, One woman named Anita McGee was lobotomized by Freeman in 1953 for postpartum depression. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, that has everything to do with the brain. And not like it does, but like. I mean, part of it. But isn't like hormones too play a big role in that? I believe so. I can't say for certain. Please don't quote me on this. I I haven't. I probably shouldn't just be like making shit up. I Um, honestly don't know. God, this is why lithium exists. (laughs) Uh, But her daughter says today that it ruined her life and left her mother, quote, there but not there. And she, of course, spent the rest of her life in an institution anyway. Ugh. Not that Freeman let any of this deter him. (laughs) Traveling in a van. Probably should have. uh, Traveling in a van that he actually referred to as the Lobotomobile. Right, right. Freeman traveled to 55 psychiatric hospitals across the U.S. performing and teaching the transorbital lobotomy. During a two-week two week period in July 1952, he performed 228 transorbital, lobo- transorbital lobotomies in the state of West Virginia. 
uh, for a state-sponsored lobotomy project of Operation Ice Pick by the newspapers, who, of course, are very sensitive about all of this. Oh, definitely. Was it first episode of the new season, the new season, the second season of lore about this? I know he's done one of his very, very early episodes. He talks about Danvers and covers some of this. Because I remember, like, in the the show, there was a, a lady who was at the doctor and, like, they were talking about the procedure and how it would be done. And then she, now that I'm saying it, it, it is, it's the first episode of the second season of Lore. Keep okay. going. <laughs> I Yeah, I watched it once and have not returned to it. I, I watched two episodes. It's fine. I got weirdly sexy. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, I don't, the second season is weird. Anyway, uh, Freeman was a showman. He often invited the media and would frequently perform in front of an audience, which is exactly what you want for your brain surgeries. The thing that's really throwing me about this whole thing is that, and this is going to sound very both on brand and stupid, <laughs> is that there's a scene in From Hell, which takes place <laughs> in the late 1800s, where I'm pretty sure they lobotomize one like a lady, but... They do it by, like, tapping something into her forehead, but, like, it had a, the, the same effect, which is why I'm always surprised when someone mentions that, like, lobotomy started in the 30s. Yeah, it's actually, like, a very limited time period. It started, like, the first one was in 1935. Well, and it also sounds like got, something that should have been happening way further back. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, they were mostly, the heyday was kind of, like, the 40s. I think I get into some stats in here in just a bit, but, yeah. More recent than you would think or want. I just checked the From Hell Wikipedia page, and they do state that she was lobotomized, but again, it was in 1888, so I don't... Probably not the best timeline. From Hell isn't historically accurate? Shut up. Weird. It's accurate to the the graphic novel it's based (laughs) on. The graphic novel From Hell is not historically accurate? Uh, Bilbo Baggins did, in fact, commit the Jack the Ripper murders. Yes, it was uh, uh, Prince something. Uh, No, it was because of him. Right. It was his doctor. Yes. Case closed. Okay. Sorry, spoilers for a movie that came out in (laughs) 2001. Well, that movie's old enough to drive. Oh, no, please don't. Uh, Anyway, Freeman liked to shock his onlookers by performing. God. Every time I'm about to say something, I just remember how bad it is. Two-handed lobotomies, inserting like two picks in, yeah, in each eye socket at the same time. Why save time? Why not just take your fucking time? Because everything is a nightmare. Uh, so there's one particularly grim instance where he like actually paused mid-procedure to allow for a picture, like one of the eye specs were in. I hate this man. And one of the instruments slipped, and it pierced the patient's brain, and they were killed, and... Just enjoy the nightmares, everybody. I'm so tired. Do you do you understand why I had such a hard time running a cold open for this episode? There is very little funny about this. I mean, I we're laughing, but that's because we're horrible Horrified. people. Yeah, it's it's the laughing at a funeral sort of vibe we've got going on here. My next section is titled. Oh wait, is this bad? Uh, spoiler, yes. <laughs> so, despite the mixed and, frankly, horrifying results, uh, Fre- Freeman's procedure caught on, because of course it did. Uh, by 1949, 5,000 lobotomies were being performed annually, up from just 150 in 1945. Yeah, because again, it was about making life easier for the people around this person who just needed a couple of, like, adjustments with the way other people treated them. 
Uh, altogether, there were 50,000 lobotomies performed in the United States, uh, most oh of God. them between 1949 and 1952. Of those, 10,000 were transorbital lobotomies, and 2,500 of those were performed by Dr. Freeman himself. He was quite prolific. He should have gone to jail for malpractice. Right? But he's a white man, so. I mean, <laughs> they still do go to prison for malpractice, but. <laughs> not in the 40s, they didn't. This is true. Uh, uh, not. It should be said that not everybody was on board. Like, there wasn't – people didn't just, like, accept them. They were controversial from the beginning. Um, like, as early as the 40s, there were articles questioning the practice. Uh, the USSR banned it in 1953. I'm sorry, Russia banned Russia it? banned it first. Russia. That's how you know you Soviet fucked up. Soviet Russia. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and by that point, most leading psychiatrists agreed with the move. Like, they were like, yeah, this should be banned. Uh, there had never been an established scientific basis for lobotomies. It was kind of just, you know, Moniz back in 36 uh, wow. and some anecdotal evidence. And even that was unreliable because most psychiatrists didn't bother to follow up with their patients after they'd had the procedure. <sighs> so they, like, you know, tapped into their brains and wiggled the ice pick around a little bit and said, yeah, you're good. You're alive. Right. Yeah, we're going to cure your mental illness the same way that the ancient Egyptians prepared a brain <laughs> to pull it out of a mummy. Yep. Uh, and then, yeah, at the same time as you've been saying, like, the criteria for lobotomies was becoming much more relaxed. Like, they were like, hey, this works for a depression. It doesn't. But, you know, they thought it worked for depression. So, like, we should use this for other things. Are you mildly upset? <laughs> Does your family wish you were a little easier to live with? Just stick an ice pick in your brain and swirl it around a little. And that's really, yeah, that's all it was. And it's an outpatient procedure. Freeman prescribed one woman the procedure for her severe headaches. Uh, and she, and he would also perform lobotomies just to, you know, change someone's personality. Like, yeah, if they were kind of annoying. You know, Jerry's really shitty. We should probably. Uh, so and there's one well-known case, and then this is actually a lot of what I got the NPR stuff from. Um, it's called My Lobotomy, and it's about this guy named Howard Dully, and he actually narrates it himself. It's really good. He, like, talks to – it's where he talks to Walter Freeman's son, and he talks to his own father about the experience, and it's mm -hmm. very good. If you Google My Lobotomy NPR, you'll find it. Um, but Freeman gave a lobotomy to Howard Dully when he was 12 years old. 12-year-olds are just shitty. Like, that's not... He'd, he would have grown out of it. <laughs> yeah. So he'd, brought to, he'd been brought to Freeman by a stepmother who had described him as defiant and said that she was scared of him. Uh, Ugh, this bitch. <laughs> among her complaints, according to Freeman's notes, just casual reminder, 12-year-old boy, he objects to going to bed but then sleeps well. I, if I wasn't wired into this goddamn computer, I would walk away. He does a good deal of daydreaming, and when asked about it, he says, I don't know. He's 12. He turns the room's lights on when there is broad sunlight outside. He's 12. This one I actually get because my niece and nephew, whenever, like, they go to the bathroom in my dad's house, will turn the lights on in the hallway in, like, the middle of the day. And I'm like, you don't need to turn the lights on. And then they don't turn it off on the way back. It's maddening. I Is can never have children. nephew, like, seven? They're, like, six and eight right now. Yeah. Drives me up a while. <laughs> anyway. But you're not going to lobotomize them over it? No. But Howard's stepmother was kind of a cunt. Anyway. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
<laughs> so she had taken him to at least two other doctors who had pointed out, rightly, that this was totally normal behavior for a 12-year-old boy. Uh, but Mrs. Dully persevered. She, you know, she nevertheless, she persisted. Sorry. <laughs> she found Dr. Freeman. He diagnosed Howard with childhood schizophrenia and recommended that he receive no. a transorbital lobotomy. No, schizophrenia doesn't even start to show itself until you're in your 20s. Nope. I'm a dummy and I know that. So Howard went underwent the procedure in 1960. Again, talking about like recently, like my dad was alive in 1960. Yeah, that was just before, like my dad was alive. He came out the other side changed, though still functional. Uh, but this wasn't the outcome his stepmother had been hoping for. Uh, in which she realized he wasn't a vegetable, she had him institutionalized. This cunt. Yeah, like, yeah, she was mean. She was just a real mean lady. I assume she didn't go to jail. No. Oh. Uh, so despite all this, what really did lobotomies in was the introduction of Thorazine in 1950. Yeah. Uh, the first drug used to treat mental illness and one of the biggest single advances in the treatment of schizophrenia. So in, as the use of antipsychotics became widespread, the demand for lobotomies plummeted. By the 1970s, most countries and most U.S. states had been banned the practice altogether. I don't believe most there's U.S. A, states? I don't believe there's a national ban on lobotomies. Most U.S. states. Most U.S. states. Hold on. Emily's going to do a little bit of a Google. <laughs> oh, wow. There's that article that you were talking about. Yeah. It, honestly, it'll probably come up if you just Google lobotomy. It's very well known. Yeah, I'm not finding any specific states that haven't. Yeah, I couldn't find specific information on, like, the extent of that, which I feel like should be much easier. <laughs> But I guess all the laws were passed in, like, the 60s and 70s, so who knows? Yeah. But, well, as a way to cap off this truly terrible episode, which I apologize for. You should. Uh, Walter Freeman performed his last lobotomy in 1967. After on one himself? Of his, unfortunately, no. Uh, after one of his patients, who he was operating on for the third time... Uh, died of a brain hemorrhage. He was banned from operating, but he continued to defend the lobotomy until his death from cancer in 1972. So <sighs> that's lobotomies, everybody. Um, so I, I, I ended up on the Wikipedia page and there's a, a list of literary and cinematic portrayals. <laughs> Is this one from hell again? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. Um, so... There's, uh, you know, All the King's Men, some Tennessee Williams stuff, Ken Kesey's One for Louis the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, that's the kind of famous one. Um, the Bell Jar, obviously. Yep. Bojack Horseman. <laughs> what? In the episode of Bojack Horseman called Time's Arrow, we see a depiction uh, into the emotional aftermath of the Second World War. What the fuck happened with this show? <laughs> Bojack's grandmother deals with losing her son and spirals into a depression. As a result of this, she is lobotomized and states to only have half a mind. Notably, most lobotomy procedures were performed on women during this period. What happened? I've only seen like two seasons of Bojack because it started to bum me out. And I'm like, I'm sure it's an amazingly made, like perfect show. I mean, I've heard nothing of good things, but also what? What the fuck? <laughs> it's a show about a talking horse. Oh, boy. Oh, man. <laughs> that's the funny that's the funny part of this episode we got there did we maybe i don't know there's the lobotomized horse what yeah oh, bojack horseman bojack it would have been his grandma would have been a horse i assume that does make sense i yeah i would assume so as well god i haven't seen one flew of the cuckoo's nest but it's 
was filmed here. And Ken Kesey is like my hometown hero. Not my personal hero, but like Portland's hometown hero. Uh, Eugene. Oh. Uh, that's where he, he died there. He also had a uh, party bus. Have you seen Across the Universe? Um, In Bono. college. Uh, Bono's character in Across the Universe is based Bono on was Ken Kesey. Across the Universe? Oh, girl, you need to watch It's amazing. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, but yeah, Bono's character uh, was based on Ken Kesey, and he had like the bus that he drove them to Eddie Izzard's house in... Um, anyway, that bus was it was a real thing, and it Did was. Did live in uh, it? I don't know specifically, but I do know that when my mom was in college, late high school, college, um, she went to parties there. I think my wow. grandma also did too, like earlier. How long was this bus around for, and how badly did it smell? Well, I mean, like it didn't just travel; like he had it parked; like it was at his house. Like my mom. And I believe Grandma went to, to parties at Ken Kesey's place. No, no, I understood this. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I can get some information on it. Uh, you need to see this bus. Actually, it looks almost exactly like the one from Across the Universe. Yep, that happened in Oregon. Yeah, I mean, he was born in Colorado, but, you know. I mean, yeah, that also tracks. Yeah, the, the bus was called Further. Um. I, th- I think there was more than one, though. Like, different iterations of it. Yeah, he got a second bus. Oh, okay. So it wasn't your mom and grandma were partying in the same bus that had... No, they were. They were because they didn't get the new bus until 1990. Oh. Yeah. Um, I can get more information on said parties. It's only been mentioned briefly, but, like, we used to pass uh, where it was parked. Like, where his house was, I think. Uh-huh. And then they, like, mention it Wood offhandedly. Feminist. Yeah. That would be a good mini Get some first-hand accounts. Yeah, I mean, my grandma's also seen the Bogwan. So. <laughs> Let's just have many. That's stories from Emily's grandma. Uh, yeah, my grandma fucking hates Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> you should... I'm sorry to have to say this, but next time you go visit your grandma, whenever that might be, <laughs> uh, record her with your phone. And the, just, we'll just release that as an Just episode. get blurbs. <laughs> Donna tells it like it is. Just ask her some questions and record her answers. Um, oh, oh, here boy. we go. Okay. In November 2005, the original further was dragged out of the swamp. Apparently, god damn it. Okay, I'm doing a mini on this bus later. <laughs> it's got a whole Wikipedia page. Oh, boy. Anyway, so um, if you enjoyed this episode, I can't imagine you did. I mean, you might have learned some stuff. <laughs> Or it will give you nightmares, which is legitimate. Oh my god, I meant to bring it up uh, earlier, but um, it's a callback to an old episode where you explained exploding head syndrome and how that accounts for like some people's right um, paranormal experiences. And in the last couple weeks, <laughs> I found out that I have that. <laughs> You've actually experienced exploding head syndrome. Yes. Um... Several times. It's it's apparently one of the triggers can be stress, which I can't imagine. Are you undergoing any weird particular stress at this moment? I am so stressed that my cat has a stress-induced illness. Well, then you got a new couch, which God forbid. Yeah, new couch, changed weather. A lot of stuff can trigger nervous cats, UTIs. That's not important. Um, <laughs> she's fine. But yeah, uh... Because, like, it had happened before, but, like, I 
didn't really register. It's like, maybe there was a loud flash and then a big noise. I don't know. But then the other night, uh, I remember being kind of awake, seeing a flash that I thought was coming from the window behind me. And then it sounded like an explosion. And according to Travis, I started screaming. What? horrifying i mean i would too this is at like three in the morning were you like awake like uh, kind of asleep but you kind of like woke up in the middle of the night sort of awake or were you like just like up for some reason because travis said that he remembers hearing a loud noise that sounded kind of like a dumpster being like Uh set down so i think uh that noise kind of woke me up a little And then, because exploding head syndrome happens mostly in that space between being asleep and being awake. I I did the episode on it. I can't remember what it was called. (laughs) But then I think I was like kind of starting to wake up and then it hit. And then I woke the rest of the way up screaming. Yeah. But like, Jesus. Travis was making sounds too. And I'm realizing now that it was him trying to get me to shut up. But I I thought he was also freaking out. No, you had probably freaked him out. Yeah. Oh, man. I wonder if, like, like we had talked about, like, your brain will hear a noise, but if it's not prepared for it, it'll interpret it differently. If it, like, heard the dumpster noise that Travis heard, but because you were, like, in that weird, like, liminal space, like, you just, like, your brain was, like, loud noise, boom. Yeah. Well, and usually my occurrences are also followed by, like, a flash of light that's yeah. not real um, because it also happened again last night. So. Oh, no. Uh, it, this wasn't as big because I knew what it was. Right. And hopefully that helps a little bit. <laughs> that's Yeah. That's actually one of the things that's like recommended is like keeping in mind like this is a thing that happens. Yeah. Um, but it's insane. And it's basically just your brain misfiring. And I really don't want a lobotomy. So. <laughs> well, luckily for you, I'm. Well, I hope Oregon is one of those states that have banned it. Yeah, me too. I have a feeling it's like Alabama and uh Arkansas yeah. that haven't probably and I mean it's just like they're not perf- they are performed in very limited numbers for very extreme cases I think these days I'm sure it's more just that like there's no law on the books banning it yeah more so than like they're down there in Alabama ice picking into your head that's what they do with the gays <laughs> can't tell me I'm wrong nope well Anyway, this so has been a big bummer from start to finish. Uh, if you've had a lobotomy and um, would like to talk about it, or you also uh, suffer from exploding head syndrome, love to hear from you. Um, we are on Twitter at Afternoonified, Instagram at Afternoonified, Facebook, Facebook.com slash Get Afternoonified of Wasteland. <laughs> I just, it's part of the spiel, so I'm required to say it. GetAfternoonified.com is our website where you can listen to old episodes, you can buy merch, you can donate. What else? Is there a new merch up? Did you get the sticker done? I haven't put the sticker up yet, but it will be up by the time this episode airs. Good. I'm going to do it uh, right after we finish. So yeah, you can get our teleportation butt magic merch. In case that's something you want to display on your person. Yeah, Midge Midge 2020, I assume, will be going away at the end of this year. I mean, we'll probably leave it up through the election. I don't see any reason not to. Yeah, we might have some new stuff up at some point. I don't know. Gotta buy the shit that's there, guys. (laughs) Remember to write, write, rate, subscribe, review, all of that that fun shit. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. I'm sorry. I'm deeply sorry. (laughs) You gotta say the thing. I did. Oh, 
Also, I love you. Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do. A podcast, if you will, that happens some weeks, not all. Don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you. Shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents. Mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.